0: Welcome. we are back with a new episode uh took us a little bit uh for all those late nights or all-nighters uh mix of both waking up early uh we had to have a few naps to uh recoup from uh watching the 2022 winter olympics in beijing unfortunately for us in north america it's essentially you know anywhere from 11 to 13 14 hours difference so uh some events started just at the right time and then others started way too early and uh a lot of us stayed up to watch them because what else are we gonna do and uh who needs sleep anyways but we have uh recovered uh everyone got their uh mandated massage correct you should have gotten that coupon in the mail if you didn't uh take it up with canada post um And uh, we are here to talk about all the highs and lows of this winter games. Uh, Let us welcome a huge crop of guests to this week's podcast. Uh, We have Adam back. Thank you for coming. Anytime. We have Charles back wearing the appropriate colors. Thank you so much for joining us again.
1: Uh, It's always a pleasure to be with you boys on the round table.
0: We have Kenzie all the way up, but same time zone, so a little sleep deprived, but uh, it's fine. Yeah,
2: well, you know, (laughs) what can you do? Hey, everybody.
0: And we have last, I guess not least, we have Cole. Uh, Now, Cole, did you take a sabbatical to watch the Olympics or did you just be a body at work?
3: Oh, I thought about it. I was pretty much just a body at work. Shut my door, (laughs) pretending not to be, uh, don't listen to this, our boss, but
0: uh. (laughs) hey, everybody. Pleasure to be here. (laughs) All right, so we're going to jump into it. Uh, Now, when it was announced seven years ago that Beijing would be the first city to host the Summer and Winter Olympics, uh, a lot of head scratching, a lot of accusations of scandal and money, but uh, we're not going to concentrate on that because we are uplifting podcast. Now, your first, when you first heard Beijing Winter Olympics, what were your thoughts?
1: I mean, it's not exactly out of the realm of possibility. Uh, they do know something about winter over in China. It's, it's not all sunshine. So yeah, it, it, it wasn't like they were suddenly going to Mexico for the Winter Olympics, where it just doesn't make sense. I'm, I had no problem with it.
3: Knew they were going to have to make some snow, but hey, uh, eh, what hill does not make some snow?
4: I, I agree. I had no no issue with them hosting it. Um, I thought with the current climate, with COVID and everything, it might have not been a bad choice. Tr- I mean, if athletes were going to be going to the Olympics, um, China seems like a a pretty good country that would have a hand on like restrictions of areas and stuff. And so I, I don't know, I was fine with it aside from the time difference was going to be a pain.
2: Yeah. Like Adam said, no problem. But time zone was like, Oh God, events at midnight events at 4am. Oh dear God.
0: That's always the struggle. I mean, you can't, we don't have a say on where these Olympics get picked. Uh, although, starting in 2024, it's going to get slightly better for us uh, in North America time-wise. Of course, those of you listening around the world, it was probably better for you this time, and it's going to get slightly worse <laughs> as we head on. Um, now, uh, COVID aside, uh, when you when you watch the first kind of, you, you know, they reused the Bird's Nest Stadium and kind of a lot of people were trying to compare it to 08 when they hosted the summer Olympics. Um, but when you, when you first started to see the events, was it, did it seem normal? Was it uh, was there any kind of be like, Oh, like this is kind of weird or uh, those backdrops are interesting or uh, did it, did it feel like a winter Olympics or did it feel like, uh well, that's, that's new. That's uh that's, that's going to be remembered.
1: I I think simply because, and maybe this is a strictly North American point of view, but we're spoiled with all our sports, having fans so close to the action in the game. And because they really didn't have any spectators there for any event, they had a couple hundred at a time. I think uh, there was no atmosphere. It felt weird. Everything just felt off. And you can even see it with some of the uh, performances of some of the athletes. They would just look around, like they would win but they were sort of looking around me, be like, wait, there's no one here cheering with me. Hmm. So it, that, that definitely always, it was, it was hard to actually get into the Olympics this time compared to, you know, 2010 here, 2014 in Sochi, when there was like just a huge crowd presence for every event.
4: I'll say the backdrop, I'll speak to the backdrops a little bit. Um, I found some of them really strange. Like I think it was uh, a lot of the jumping events. Just because a lot of the shots, you'd have the person jumping, looking magnificent, magnificent in the air. And then you had, like, two towers in the background. Like, it, it, it was just so strange having all the made snow. But then once they left the halfpipe, it was just, like, cityscape. <laughs> so it felt a little um, interesting to see that. And there was one picture taken with two, like, smokestacks or whatever towers that reminded me slightly of The Simpsons. And when I think of these Olympics, that is like the first one of the first pictures that comes to mind.
3: <laughs> I will say they they didn't do a good job of hiding the backdrop because like you said, Adam, it was some some shots were clear as day. You could just see you the know, smoke shacks coming out. It's like you were clearly trying to hide something with those backdrops, but uh, I think you needed to do a better job. <clears throat>
2: yeah backdrops um the one that hit me was when i watched the ski jumping and was like what are you what, what they're in the middle of the city how, how does this happen like, don't you have somewhere out of the city you could put this where it doesn't look like we're next to
0: the springfield nuclear plant only
2: in
3: beijing
0: well, that's the thing. A lot of people thought it was like a nuclear power plant. It was like, no, that. I mean, you can have smokestacks like that for more than a nuclear power plant. But uh, the Simpsons, of course, everyone, that's the first image everyone sees. And they go, oh, wow, that, are they going to be radioactive when they get back? Like, uh, <laughs> obviously, they thought it would be interesting because you don't just put the logo of the Olympics on a tower if you don't want it to be seen. Cause they, they knew. But yeah, like you said, when they panned out even farther, because you think like uh you know a factory like that I forget exactly what it was it's it's not operational. But you think like a factory like that, it's not going to be near a town because it's going to make pollution and noise. Um, but yeah, when they zoomed out, it's like a little bit away. You're like, oh look, there's a subdivision, and oh look, there's a a, a city right over there. It was. Interesting, and of course, a lot of these—not uh, the ski jump, the long-distance ski jumping—but yeah, like the aerials um, and the the big air competition. Uh, that was temporary, uh, a stadium, so that won't stick. So they chose that on purpose, I guess, for the space, and they knew it wouldn't like people wouldn't be clamoring to come. But some of the like there were three quadrants for this Olympics because, again, you have to have mountains for skiing and all of this. So not everything took place in Beijing. Probably there was the, the events in Beijing and then that area uh, with the big air and uh, the Nordic Center uh, and the ski jumping. And then you had the actual like mountain alpine events uh, and that al- you could have gone like I think it was an hour to an hour and a half bus ride just to get to that and then bus back to the, the Olympic village. Now that being said uh, for Vancouver, of course, all the skiing and mountain events happened in Whistler, which is about an hour drive, but they created a secondary village for those athletes. So it wouldn't feel like they were missing out or anything, because if you want those high, high class events in the mountains, many cities were not built close to the mountains so you're gonna have at least an hour's drive uh same thing with calgary 08 a lot of the skiing events happened in in banff in the rocky mountains so that's an hour from calgary and uh many cities face this that hosts the olympics but it just it seemed weird that uh that was just the the choice uh and again snow this is a winter olympics and of course like Cole said, we uh, many ski hills make their own snow, but that is to help the natural snow that has been uh, made by the climate. Uh, and you know, China does get snow. A lot of countries get snow outside of Canada and the US, uh, but a lot of places don't get the amount of snow that some places are used to. And well, they had to really make a lot of snow and that sometimes played a factor did you notice a visible difference uh, between some of the events or the quality or the times, or even a lot of the crashes that happened? Uh, A lot of the athletes were saying that was due to, you know, artificial snow. Uh, Do you think one, that was an issue uh, for the athletes and you know, if they had better time to prepare for that, because they're, they're not practicing on fake snow Uh, or at least a lot of them aren't. Um, and two, do you think it it might be addressed in further uh, iterations? Now we do have the 2026 Olympics booked in Italy, which is, uh, I want to say probably gets more snow than China, at least in the area that uh, it is hosting because uh, it has uh, part of the city has hosted Winter Olympics before. But you think going forward that is going to be a consideration or, I mean, the IOC might not care, but I think the athletes can bring it up. Um, but ultimately, it's not their decision.
1: I think what's going to happen, you know, they, they always, each uh, country's Olympic committee will always pull their athletes and talk to them privately, be like, okay, what did you like? What did you not like? Uh, I definitely think that the powder, the, the artificial snow made a, made a difference. You can definitely tell sometimes uh, the skiers and then some of the snowboarders looking down at the, at the bottom of their board or bottom of their skis it just something wasn't quite feeling right. So I saw that more than one occasion. Uh, so I definitely think that the reports will get back to the mm-hmm. Olympic committee that, yeah, the snow this way sucked. So they'll probably send that forward that information to Italy within the next year, once it was all compiled and gets back to them. And then it'll, it'll be up to Italy to take that into consideration and try and, you know, obviously weather permitting, because, you know, we almost had the same problem in 2010 with, so we, we got warm just before the Olympics came. Um, but they'll, they'll do their best to make sure that the, 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 the runs are much more properly groomed ahead of time. And,
4: I mean, I'm not a skier or snowboarder, so I don't know if I could tell the difference in between, like, natural or human-made snow, like, personally. So I can't speak too knowledgeable about it. But on the one hand, all the athletes were in the same situation, and if none of them really practiced on it, at least it was, like, fair from that perspective. I thought a lot of the crashes, because there did feel to be a lot of crashes um, in some of the events, the slaloms and uh, even the moguls, surprisingly, and I thought that was because of the high winds like because they had it and then it'd freeze and then they got a surprising snowfall. And so it was like the, the fresh snow on the human-made, slightly frozen snow, which was causing a lot of that. I don't know how much of that is just like bad luck. And they didn't have time to practice the runs because of a, a couple of snow flurries and the Olympics are like two weeks long. And so you get two bad days and suddenly like you get one practice run. And when you're going 80 miles an hour or however fast they're going down there, It can affect you.
3: For me, I really saw it like when the snowboard cross and ski cross were going on, especially towards like the finals of that event. You really saw like the slightest little edge hit because of all the fake snow and the boards reacting to it. Like you can only wax them so much where you try and make it like a perfectly glide. But there's some of the races, even between like the men's and the women's, I noticed with them being on separate days like one had such a, like an easier advantage point but others like the slightest lunge made like everybody almost crash in the same area because the fake snow wasn't like I guess groomed as much as they possibly could Um, that's where I really noticed it the most I would hope the IOC would take that into consideration but I mean well. they also <laughs> like money so
1: <laughs> well, that's like I said. There's going to be a lot of the weather, to, you know, leading up to the Olympics will play a huge part in that. But you know that Italy is going to get reports from ever from the IOC and from a lot of the other countries who participated here uh, about what the athletes said, and you know that they're going to do well. They should do everything they can to minimize a repeat of that mild fiasco. Absolutely. Yeah, I
2: think the fake snow, it could have been an issue. Um, But I think it's just, it was the weather conditions with the fast freezing and then more snow on top of that. And it was just kind of a bad luck in the weather for those two days.
0: You did make a good point, Adam. I did forget that some of the events did suffer from high winds, like the half pipe. When you're going six feet in the air off of when you're going up and then six feet plus, those high winds resulted in a lot of crashes and then the snow flurries for uh, moguls and some of the downhill. I mean, that happens every Olympics where you can't see. So it's like, ah, we can't really judge you or we can't, it's not safe to go down. Uh, so yeah, those did play a factor as well. in uh, some of those crashes, um, I do think that the fake snow, um, or like um, a large majority of the fake snow and then the freezing uh, probably did not help. And uh, like Cole said, you know, waxing is just as important as practicing in some cases. And if you wax wrong or don't put enough wax, that could be the end of your Olympics just like that. And you made a great point, Charles. I did forget about the, you know, the thaw right before Vancouver, now the one thing Vancouver did that was different was they trucked in snow from northern BC so it was natural instead of making the man made because I mean whether Whistler decided or the Canadian Olympic Committee uh you know we're known for our snow and to say we don't have enough snow is like that's a it's a big glaring issue to be like what do you mean we don't have enough snow we're we're Canada <laughs> yeah. in February we have a ton of snow. There's even
2: yeah. in my yard right now.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, not, I don't think don't get it. With, sorry, I, I, not to have a source spot with anyone who listened to this who lives in Ottawa. But there was a convoy of trucks that headed to Whistler with snow that year to uh, to help patch things up.
0: What a what a difference a, a decade plus a few years can make. That's <laughs> a positive <laughs> convoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to get into kind of the, the nitty gritty. So um, we're all in uh, well, we're not all, some of us are in one time zone. Some of us are in another. Um, was there a specific event that you set an alarm for uh, that happened at like three or four in the morning? Uh, or was there an event or specific events that you definitely stayed up past your normal bedtime to watch? Uh, and did you regret it?
1: Yeah, hockey, men's and women's, because a lot of those games uh, were happening at eleven o'clock Eastern PM, so they would go till one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. And did not regret it on the women's side, but I, I, it pains me to say this, but damn, I regretted the men's side because that was that was tough to watch. That team was tough to watch. I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit later, but.
3: Oof. For me, it was like, so- go ahead, Adam.
4: I was going to say I I agreed. I did it for the women's hockey, especially the gold medal game that I think like everyone in Canada did, but uh, stayed up a little late for that one. Um, the other one was figure skating. Uh, it, it was normally on earlier in the morning, like six, seven, or so, so or even earlier. And so I didn't have to set an alarm. I just watched it. Like, I didn't look at the news and then watched it on a replay on the CBC app. So
3: I feel like I lucked out for most of the events that I wanted to watch were either at like the peak, like, started at like eight or 10. So I had to stay up a little late. And then the rest of them that I did want to watch were back on at like six, seven in the morning. So I could at least watch them like, at work or not at work? <laughs> uh, not definitely at work. gold medal game, but uh, who didn't watch that? Let's be real. What an incredible accomplishment for the women!
1: Man, that that women's team was something else this year.
3: Oh, just dominated every game.
1: Like even even the gold medal matchup, like they they they, they hem the U.S. in their zone quite like on more than a number of occasions it was it almost something like they was going harlem globetrotters out there even in the, in the gold medal match yeah
2: yeah <clears throat> um the only thing that the only thing that i regretted staying up for slash waking up early for was the women's hockey game um great game but i was so tired at work <laughs> and the kids were like hey why are you so tired today you're you're usually pretty upbeat and pretty chipper and i was like yeah women's hockey 5 a.m wake up not fun (laughs) (laughs) um but no any most of the events that i wanted to watch i found i could either get on replay the next day later that morning lunchtime or they were just on
0: yeah there were uh, so many late nights a lot of the times it's so funny when you're watching you staying up for an event because a lot of the snowboard cross or uh a lot of the skiing stuff would start here where they would have practice runs or qualifying runs and then really start at like 11 30 so you're staying up till one uh to watch those and you're you know watching course cheering for team canada and then you know <laughs> get so close and then they don't make it and you're so overtired you're just like oh come like come on like i can't believe i stayed up to watch you <laughs> but then you have to take your second back and be like i just watched this person you know finish six out of everyone at the olympics like that's a feat in itself with everything that's going on in the world and how they haven't been able to train properly and all the different stuff so like you have that tired frustration to be like i can't like oh like they got so close you're almost you're almost you're you have a somewhat of an anger, but it's not an anger because you you feel for them as if you are participating like them and you just want them to succeed and win a medal so much that it's just, it pains you just as much. Uh, you know, I'm sure f- for them, the pain that they're going through, like, Oh, I got, you know, got so close, but after a minute, you, you just feel so happy for them that like, wow, like they finished six, like they did it all. Like, and they fell and got back up and they were able to do it. And that's what we as fans have to realize, especially with these Olympics, they're such a pressure cooker, especially in Canada for the winter athletes, hockey, curling, which we'll get into some, some moguls, some events where you just expect Oh yeah. Like how do we get our, you know, expected medal count? Well, we expect a medal in this one, this one, this one, because we just expect us to be the best or at least the top three in those events. And then when it doesn't happen, it's like, Oh, wow. That's a, a, what do we, what do we feel? How do we feel like? So I think going into the next Olympics and following, we just, we have to know, that the athletes are giving their absolute all and win or lose. We have to be proud of them and they're going to work just as hard to get a medal next time. Or if this was their last one, you, you know, they gave it their all because this was, this was it. There was no, no more other chance. This was, this was it.
1: I I think you actually touched on something very important there, Justin. And it was mentioned a couple of times during some of the broadcasts and uh, one very long article in The Athletic, uh, especially a lot of the Canadian athletes, they lost over 50% of their training time the last two years because of this damn COVID virus. So it, none of the athletes in the Olympics were actually competing at 100%. They weren't top of their game a lot of times. And you saw it in some of the times and some of the events where, you know, normally you see almost every every Olympics, some Olympic or world record being broken. Didn't see too much of that this time. Didn't see too many people flirting with world records because they weren't quite in the game shape because a lot of world championship stuff had been postponed or canceled. A lot of regional tournaments that people would gear up for and use as a you know, a prep type of Olympics didn't happen. So it, the athletes gave everything they had, but they weren't sort of in tip-top shape and across the board. Not just our country, every country.
3: Yeah. And you got also to remember, like, they made it to the Olympics. They qualified, whether they came first or last in the actual event, they like are an actual Olympian. So credit to that and all on its own. You had to fight, you had to train, you had to qualify to get there. Not to mention during all this pandemic crap. So kudos to all the athletes from all the countries.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, they're a hell of a lot better than we all are combined. So (laughs) in any of the sports,
4: I think it'd be cool for all the Olympics to have like one average Joe or whatever, just to see being like, Oh yeah, that guy's skating really fast, but like, how fast is that? Really? You have an average person do the 500 meter in like five minutes when they're doing it in a minute and a half or whatever. Uh,
0: I, I'm not I sure she
1: love- wants to take on that health insurance policy for that, but
0: <laughs> I love when that gets brought up every single Olympics, like, cause that's how curious people are. They're like, Oh, I totally went down to my local high school and I ran the 100 meter, totally measured out properly on the high school track and i ran it in like 10.3 so i could totally be an olympian it's like yeah um i first off i don't think you started the no. clock when you started and then i think you stopped it probably sooner than the finish line and was that 100 meters i don't think
4: they're just <laughs> counting in their head that's about 10 seconds yeah One, it
0: totally takes me 50 steps yeah. to get there and i did 50 <laughs> steps why am i at the middle of the field i don't
1: know and 10 seconds and a 100-meter dash gets you dead last.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
3: I don't even think 10 seconds is a qualifying time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: not for a gold run. No.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, not anymore. Like, 10-3 is, like, you're you're the slowest in the heat. I,
4: mean, I would 10, still be impressed 10, 10, if, uh, if I knew someone who could run it in 10
2: seconds.
4: 10 seconds
0: is
2: still pretty fast. I have an athlete who can run it in 11. <laughs>
0: I think my fastest time in high school, I think was 11, six. And this no. was before I transitioned oh. into a throwing athlete because a lot of other people got faster than me and I got thicker, <laughs> and not faster. So I stuck with yeah, the I throwing was- because it was a lot better, but, uh, I, I did make, I did make, uh, the finals or semi-finals for hundred meter and finals for uh, 200 meter in Ottawa, in my first year of high school. So there, there was a time I could boast be like, yeah, look out. And then it, no one had to look out because it didn't happen.
1: I think, I, I think if I could run hundred meters in high school under 12 seconds, I think I was lucky. I was never <laughs> a fast runner.
0: <laughs> so, Let's concentrate on the, I guess, the sports that everyone gets excited for once every four years, because we'll touch on the, the main ones, because uh, I know everyone has lots to say. but of the, the sports that you don't really pay attention to unless they're at the Olympics, what excites you the most to watch? Uh, or what are you most prou- or what are you most proud of that you picked up on watching uh, or thought it was really cool or just the success of certain athletes? Uh, which one which one of those sports got you excited
1: speed skating mm. Just, i never watch it at all and i never watch any of the world championship runs as cbc does i only pay attention to speed skating when the olympics roll around but to see the the grace and the balance that these guys are skating insane distances at insane speed like uh, Charles, Charles Hamlin there. And um God, what's his name? his racing partner, what's his name? Help me out here, guys. The got three medals. Mind blanking here. Help me out. I'm sure someone will get that name in from me in a, in a second. Uh, just, the, just the seamless handoff they have in the relay races. It blows my mind how these guys are able to keep their balance because, you know, yeah, I've stepped on the ice and played some hockey and more than once made a fool of myself falling down when I, I never should have. So yeah. these guys are doing it on even thinner blades and in a different posture. So it always wows me. And I always get a good, you know, I'm not going to lie. I get a bit of a thrill watching it.
4: Maybe be figure skating. I know it goes on for more than just the Olympics, but I don't really follow it otherwise. And uh, this year and... I found out was really in figure skating, so something we could watch together, which was really cool. Um, so yeah, that would be the one sport that I probably watched more of in the last during these Olympics than I had <laughs> prior.
3: I'd say for me, it was definitely uh, the bobsled, the two-man and women, and the four, because uh, I actually knew someone's spouse uh, that I know was actually a part of Team Canada's bobsled and they finished sixth overall in the two-man and that was his first Olympics so that was kind of cool I mean, Cool, just to watch and say like oh I know someone who knows that person
2: <laughs> for me it would have to be just because I never watch them unless they're in the Olympics the luge and the skeleton um Didn't really realize it until I was watching this year. It was the women's skeleton event. It was the first two heats. I didn't realize how fast they go. My God.
0: (laughs) That's terrifying. Like, do you want to try that? No. No, I'm good. (laughs) So I know what our first assignment after the pandemic is. We're going to send Kenzie out to a track and... (laughs) the involuntary wow. luge love yeah it. might have <laughs> to just make your Double own track wrap. and take a crazy carpet and <laughs> i don't think we can get the insurance to to cover uh... <laughs> i would i would love to i mean i know you can pay for it in calgary to to go down in a bobsled but i would love to try luge your skeleton um obviously (laughs) yeah you'd still go you still go fast but not as fast as them but i i think of course the olympics you get coverage of everything and with the you know internet you have the opportunity you're not just at the whim of you know whatever tv uh station has the rights in your country oh they're showing you know and a delayed thing of this event where they'll show just the you know america nbc is uh bad for this on the the replay where they'll just focus on the Americans going and not. And then maybe like the leader and like, say, Bob said, they'll show like the German one team and then all the Americans and make it seem like, uh, Oh, the Americans are going to win. And then they finish, you know, middle of the pack, but just the way they like broadcast it. And I know a lot of people are furious. A lot of people love what CBC does. And, you know, a benefactor of that, uh, you know, uh, CBC, the BBC and Britain, Um, uh, and, um, I forget the, in Australia who has it, uh, TV, I have to correct me. Um, sorry, the one person that listens in Australia, but I know those three, uh, countries have really great broadcasting teams, um, that a lot of other countries are envious and they get VPNs just so they can log on to watch those, uh, those feeds instead of their own. Uh, but I think there might be a tilt. What, like you said, speed skating. Uh, I know the sh- the long track uh, speed skating gets a little bit of coverage on CBC for World Championships, uh, but I know I I hardly see on TV the short track speed skating, uh, and it both are just as exciting. Uh, we have lots of chances at medals in every single event. It's a you know a hugely funded team. Whereas in the opposite, uh, there was complaints that some of the losers got zero money yeah. uh, in their training. And so th- this is the time, unfortunately, to get sponsors, you have, you know, doing well, showing that you're progressing. Um, but just the exposure alone, being able to watch whatever you want live or on repeat uh, here in Canada anyways, I think is a good way to expose people to all these sports Um, because again, uh, I know a lot of people figure skating once every four years, they are the biggest figure skating fans for two weeks. And then they go was figure skating happens outside of the Olympics. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, so living in a household who, uh, with someone who is an ex figure skater, um, well, singles competitor, and now in a new event that is trying to get added to the Olympics and the world championships are in Canada this year, synchronized figure skating. Uh, those of you in the Ham- Ontario, down in, down in Hamilton, early April, the world figure skating champion, uh, synchronized figure skating championships happening. And starting next year, Synchronized Skating is getting added to Skate Canada's whole national championship. So it's not going to be separate, which bodes well for that sport, uh, for re- recognition. But just to get it to that point and then to keep that momentum, there, it seems like there's always going to be those sports. And my favorite is sne- uh, ski and snowboard cross. I, I love those. They're so exhilarating, exciting. And, you know, it just happens in one day or an afternoon, essentially you, you get your time and then you race, you race for your life, you race for the medals and you don't really get coverage throughout the year um, of the different stops that they have on the world circuit. Um, But if you watch it or if you're fortunate enough to see it live, just like Red Bull crashed ice, that it's so exhilarating to watch, uh, and you just want more of it, uh, but there's just not not that coverage outside of uh, the Olympics.
1: And just you know, one one other thing there, it's not only the sports that we suddenly pay attention to. Uh, you got to give a bit of a shout out to the guys who are calling the events. Uh, you know, just to name one guy off the top for CBC, Mark Lee, uh, who used to always do the speed skating uh, Steve Armitage uh, legendary names but the events that you normally don't pay attention to they suddenly give such an incredible life and it just sucks you right in
0: you, you hear that voice and you know exactly you might not know what they look like but you know who it is you, you can recognize that voice anywhere and the great Steve Armitage uh, gave his last call these Olympics he is retiring <laughs> gentlemen we are starting to lose the voices that's going to be a whole nother discussion and podcasts uh later on this season but you know some of the great olympic callers and you know names that we're used to they're they're starting to they're getting old and they're starting to retire as much as we don't like it and what else are you going to do? Just keep calling. You just <laughs> there's a lot of prep that people don't know, but those voices are are starting to go, and we're going to get new ones that uh, will take time to make those memories and make those amazing calls. But uh, it's, uh, some of these next future Olympics are going to be a little bit uh, different uh, listening to.
1: Speaking of famous calls, uh, I mean, for those of us in, in Northern in Canada. The other day was just the 12 year anniversary of Crosby's golden goal. And I still get goosebumps listening to Chris Cuthbert make that call, the golden goal once in a lifetime. Uh, Like talking about now, I'm still getting goosebumps about it. God, when he retires, I'm going to shed a a few tears when he retires from calling hockey.
0: So, Let's get into the main one, at least in Canada, the main ones that people uh, pay attention to, and that would be hockey, curling, and figure skating. Now, notice how I didn't say gender, because it doesn't matter. And if you have that issue, then stop listening. I don't think anyone does, but uh, because we we here in Canada, well, figure skating uh, as individually, not so much, but uh, we expect gold or... Uh, you know, take the bus home in some people's mindset. Not everyone's, of course. Uh, We just want them to be successful as best as possible. Uh, And like last Olympics, it was uh, a little bit of up and down uh, for these three events. Uh, Now we'll start with figure skating. Uh, Right off the bat, Uh, of course what is an olympics without a little bit of controversy uh what are your takes uh especially charles and kenzie and cole who aren't so deep in the figure skating lore uh adam's gotten a a little bit into the lore um but from an outsider's perspective when you heard this scandal uh you know doping you're thinking figure skating what are they like who dopes in figure skating and What were your initial thoughts and kind of feelings towards that?
2: Well, um, I'll start this off, I guess. My original thought when I heard of a doping scandal in figure skating was, okay, yeah, another one, great. Um, And then I heard it was a Russian and went, oh boy, here we go again. Um, Not really sure how I feel on it. Um, because you're looking at, you're looking at a child cause she was, she's 15, um, versus an adult in the case of Shakari Richardson, this American sprinter who spoke out about it, kind of what's the difference between her and me. Mine was weed. It's not a performance enhancer. Hers is a heart medication. That is, she's a child. You're an adult. Um, not really sure how I feel about the whole thing. Um, If you're talking about clean Olympics, you're talking about fair sports, this isn't it. Um, You can see how the pressure did get to her in her final skate. Um, She ended up not meddling because the pressure was too much because she is a kid. Um, And just all those comments and all that negative press really, I think, just kind of crushed her momentum. Yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. I can go on and on about steroid issues forever, but not the time or place.
1: Uh, you know what? Almost a carbon copy of what Kenji said, you know, when you hear, oh, there's a scandal in the Olympics with doping. First of all, what else is new? Another news, water is wet. There's always one every year, no matter if it's winter or summer, always at least one. Uh, you can take that to the bank like death and taxes, folks. Uh, again, heard it was a Russian, and it's like, okay, what else is new? They've been we, we've been dealing with this since before Sochi, and that was in 2014. So again, don't uh, doesn't really shock anybody. I absolutely felt horrible for the kid, though. She's a child. She's 15. Suddenly, the world is shaming her, and it's like, no, no, 15 year old deserves that. Uh, I thought the I think it was the Americans on NBC. Their broadcast, they were just crucifying her during her last run, and I'm like, shame on you guys. Be the bigger country. I mean, like, be have a little professionalism, a little pride in your call, and just call it as it is. Don't, don't, don't need to run her through the muck. She's already going to face that enough as it is from the rest of the world. Um, But beyond that, I mean, I actually I missed most of the figure skating. I caught a lot of it just on quick highlights recaps on sport on the Sports Center. Unfortunately, it just was, it never came on at the right time for me. Because um, if it was on, usually hockey was on. And sorry, national hockey matters more to me. Sorry. Lo- love our figure skaters. Love our athletes. Hockey matters more to me.
3: For me, I feel like like Charles and Kenzie had did say, like, oh, Olympics, another doping scandal. Russia, shocking. I mean, their ROC – You can't get any lower name than that, I guess. I don't know. Um, I did feel bad for her. I mean, she's like 15, uh, kind of shining on her spotlight. And this kind of comes out. Um, I mean, obviously, it's hard. Yeah, she is 15. She did qualify for the Olympics. She has a lot of backing, doctors and stuff around the The program itself for her going to the Olympics um, and obviously they test for those things for a reason. Um, especially I just don't, for me I feel like I don't think she should have been allowed to skate the last one um, just with everything going on I feel like it was a very kind of quick decision and then she was just allowed to skate anyways for me uh, but I do feel bad for her because no 15-year-olds should have that much pressure put on them and stuff talked about like that. Uh, definitely this Curry Richardson definitely came up when that, uh, when that moment that they allowed her to skate. Uh, I feel like that was kind of a big uh, a slap in the face, I'd say, from the IOC, in my opinion. But unfortunately, these things do happen. It's a shame that it happened to someone so young.
1: One thing on uh, Richardson, she was saying, what's the difference between her and this kid? Uh, the one, the one defense I have for anyone who gets caught smoking weed uh, at the Olympics is the only way that's a performance. And to quote the late great Robin Williams, uh, the only way weed's a performance enhancer is if there's a giant chocolate bar at the end of the freaking run.
4: <laughs> not, not to go too deep into it, and not defending her. That I think the situations are very different in between Richardson's and hers because. it, it it's the overseeing body. Richardson got suspended by the Federation and then she wasn't, she didn't go to the Olympics and she didn't appeal her suspension. She accepted it. What happened here was she was caught, like uh, she tested positive. They appealed, the Federation overturned it, and then they never tested the B sample yet. And so she was allowed because she appealed that, that her sample was was tainted or whatever it was. And so the situations—it's not like, "Hey, Richardson's a black woman who smoked weed, therefore she can't run." No, it—it it, she got suspended and she accepted it. She can't be like, "Oh, this white girl—you're making an exception for." No, she went through the rules. Should have she been allowed? Still, that's up for debate. But the situations—I don't think are super comparable.
1: No, they're not even close. Like,
3: no, I agree on that point.
1: Yeah.
2: The whole issue I I still have is a banned substance is banned substance and it shouldn't matter. I I agree on it. Like, I I understand they're different, but a banned substance is banned substance. And whether it's in there or not, you shouldn't be allowed to compete.
4: Yes. Until your B-sample
2: is tested and cleared,
4: of course. Why did it take – because the sample was from Christmas and and it's kind of like why did it take two months before this was ever tested and they're blaming COVID – and in anything, like, I don't know how deep we are to go into it. I'm just saying she probably shouldn't have been allowed to skate if you're going through the whole banned substance, banned substance, protected person or not. But, like, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, in this household, it got uh, pretty crazy with this uh, <laughs> being a household <laughs> where someone's so indoctrinated in figure. And it essentially comes down to, yes, yeah, she's 15 you know, the first question is now, do they change it? Whereas, so a minor cannot compete because that, that minor, you know, being a minor and there's some protection in that, that, that creates one stipulation yeah. or one scenario. Cause if she was 16 or older, it, it would have been, things would have been handled slightly different. But at the same time, we started to get stories be like, Oh, she took a, you know, she drank out of a glass from her grandfather who has that medication and it comes out, it was like, well, no, she's, you know, taking three different medications. And there's the other fact where you can apply for medical uh, exceptions when it comes to things like heart medication that might be banned because you're going to know that it's banned. Another thing, it's the country that shall not be named because they're very bad. Uh, who has a history of this and the pressure of figure skating in that country is just like the pressure in hockey in Canada. It is, you know, hockey is, but figure skating is their number one. Uh, If you do not win golds, I mean, obviously they did not win gold in every single event, but at least they have a gold medal favorite in at least one of the events every single olympics and sometimes it's multiple and they challenge each other and there's like no it's you know the three like in the women's event it was the three and it looked like they were going to sweep the podium and then everyone was trying to catch them and with the team event that happened before where she skated phenomenally for a 15 year old like she was doing stuff that has you know that was never attempted or like hardly one other person attempted it And just at 15, doing things that no one's ever expected before is insane. And so do I, you know, do I believe that, you know, there was pressure? Yeah. Was she, did she knowingly take it? She was probably, if she, you know, it is confirmed. I want to say that she didn't go, hey, I need to do this to win because she knows, like, she's very good. And in figure skating, I don't know what this, how it would help, but I think there was extreme pressure from outside organizations or inside organizations (laughs) that, uh, you know, do better, do better. What, why they thought this would improve something. I don't know. I don't know.
4: It it gives you more endurance is the thing. So higher jumps without getting tired, able to There you go.
0: So that's how it would help you in figure skating. So again, now the thing is with the team event, now they have to decide because the the team um, won gold. Now, if something were to happen, Canada would get bumped up to bronze, but that's, we're we're not really (laughs) counting that. It's the sanctity of this one person, uh, you know, was caught and, you know, in team events, everyone suffers. Unfortunately, that's how it is the not willingness to investigate it quickly. I don't know if they waited for things to calm down to actually get into it. We're, we're not behind the curtain. We don't know. We won't know anything for, for weeks, maybe even months, but you could see like you, like was mentioned just between, you know, the short program, she did not bad, but then that long program, it just, the pressure, the media attention, she's 15 and the weight of, you know, the pressure from the media and all the other countries and probably from her own, just, you could see it just crumble and it unfortunately played out for the world to see. And sometimes in figure skating, anyways, you get one Olympics and you, that could be it because figure skating so precise, Uh, you know, the younger, the more flexible you are, the higher you can jump. Uh, If you can go to multiple Olympics as a figure skater and even like being contention, you're, you're going to be considered a legend in your country because that it's not the case for a lot of people. And it just like, you could see it. And that wasn't the only thing. So uh, the girl who won uh, had a phenomenal skate the girl who uh, was second came off the ice and started to yell and argue with her coach. And she was second. And that opened up a whole nother Pandora's box based on the translation. I don't know Russian, so I can't confirm how accurate these translations are, but from a reliable source, it, it almost kind of sounded like, you know, coaches promised her maybe she was going to win or something. So then you can open up a whole nother camel worms and conspiracies of like, what was that country, you know, colluding to be like, okay, you're going to be first, not even points wise. So that's a whole nother, we haven't seen a scandal like this since Oh two in figure skating. And that revolutionized the scoring system. So like this whole situation, and then now, of course, with world events, uh, these athletes cannot uh, perform at the world championships uh, this month. And so just, it, it kind of came and went, and no one's really talking about it right now, but once the world championships get going at the uh, towards the end of the month, I think uh, talks will return, and you're correct, yeah, Though the NBC broadcasters were two ex-figure skaters. And I feel like they had a chip on their shoulder. Uh, be, I mean, obviously, they felt attacked that their sport was being tainted. Now, you know, how many times in sprinting or track and field are there allegations? I haven't really heard those announcers, you know, go after uh, a, a specific person racing or whatnot. But this is kind of new for figure skating because it's either a point scandal. You have uh, Tanya Harding, mm-hmm. like those are the types of scandals that you would have in figure skating, not doping. Like, so this
2: happen in someone,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, you injure your opponent so you win, or you pay a judge to give people lesser scores. That's how you win. But now it's just something that's not been seen in a in a sport that has an identity crisis and trying to figure out and trying to evolve from that, that prim and proper elegant phase to now these are high tone athletes who are spending hours in the gym and on the ice uh, to do things that no one thought the human body could ever do. But Oh boy, what a, what a week and a half, two weeks of figure skating that was now let's get into uh, curling. We'll save hockey for last. Uh, who wants to take who wants to talk uh, about the, the high and low of the mixed curling team?
1: Did oh, they really have a high point because I felt they underperformed the whole way. I really was not impressed with a lot of the curling that our country did and I'm gonna dive in here for a second or two. Uh, Sorry to the rest of you boys, and I might wind up stealing something you might say, so you can shoot me later. Uh, Let's let's rewind the clock back just a little bit here when Canada was the undisputed king and queen of curling for years and years and decades upon decades. Everybody learned from us. Everybody, the Chinese, the Brits, everybody learned how we played the game and how we sort of had our little advantages. Now, when now it's coming home to roost, as we're getting our asses handed to us more often than not. Uh, I really felt that we there were some easy shots that the Canadians should have been taking, that they tried too many high risk gambles and it didn't pay off. And you know, just failed it, failure to execute in key moments, and it really cost it cost three teams gold medals.
4: I just one point, you, you can continue in, in a second, but I, I still think Canada is in the top echelon of curling countries, especially when it comes to like depth. Like if you look at like our briar or our tournament of hearts, you could probably like send multiple teams to the Olympics. The problem in in quotes is other countries don't have that depth, but they're not having top athletes as well, because they're they're sending their best curlers to train wherever. And every country can produce a good or great curling team. Whereas Canada produces like 14 really good teams. There could be an argument to be made, should Canada do what other countries are and try and forge like an ultimate team or something because unlike figure skating or snowcross or whatever, where you can send multiple athletes, every country just sends one curling team. And here we like the competition to become Team Canada is very harsh, like not harsh, but like it's very competitive. Mm -hmm. When like every province sends it and curling is still not considered like a career path in a way a lot of the curlers have, same with a lot of Olympic athletes, I mean, but they have other jobs and they play with their friends. They might travel but you're not necessarily plucking someone from this team and plucking someone from that team and making Team Canada. You're being like, you go to this tournament as your foursome and you become it. Um, so and, and then yeah, upsets kind of happen. But I don't even know if they can be considered upsets anymore because it's such an even playing field these days. It feels like and it's disappointing in a way as a Canadian when we don't do well, but it's, it's cool knowing that like our sport has been taken up and we can compete like other countries can compete at our sport at our level, which is nifty to see as a fan of the sport, not as a fan of
2: gold medals.
4: But I'll add on to,
2: I'll add on to what Adam said just quick. Um, I, I do like seeing the competitive balance because it's not the same team winning every year. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as a Canadian and a Canadian sports fan, I do like seeing them win medals, but seeing other countries win stuff too is pretty cool, especially in terms of curling, which is the Canadian sport, other than maybe hockey.
1: Now, we, we kind of got spoiled in this country here, and I think, I think this is where a lot of, you know, I myself, you know, I curled for a couple of years, uh, did it. It's actually way harder than it looks to, so uh, people want oh, yeah. to they, they shit on people for not playing well. And I was, I was kind of hard on them. Uh, I may not be Vic Router and know everything, but damn, I, I know how hard that sport is. Uh, so, and how hard it is to execute some of those shots? Uh, we got spoiled. We had, you know, Glenn Howard, Glenn Jacobs, uh, Rachel Holman, Jennifer Jones for years and years. These guys were the ed, top echelon. And to your point, Adam, uh, we we could have sent three different squads, and they could have all had a chance to medal. Uh, and maybe maybe Curling Canada needs to look at it and start, instead of deciding who's Team Canada going to be just two months prior to the Olympics, you, you decide six months or eight months at, the, at the, near the end of the previous season who's going to be actually representing Team Canada, and then they train specifically for the Olympics. Maybe that winds up making a giving us a, our competitive edge once more. But uh, it it is nice to see the rest of the world catching up to us. And in, in case I think that. Yes, Canada is still among the upper echelon, but that upper echelon is a little bigger than people may realize. The Americans are there. The Brits are there. The Chinese are there. Uh, you can even uh, – I know I'm missing one. The Swedes. Thank you. The Swedes. There's four or five other countries that are with us now. That It's, it's, no, it's no longer just like women's hockey, where it is Canada and USA, and then there's everybody else. Yes. <laughs> in, cur- in curling, uh, both sides, men's and women's, there are six or seven countries – that make up that upper echelon. And there's a few who are knocking on the door there. So I think as a whole, maybe the country needs to get maybe a little more of a specific training regimen for their well, Olympians and choose them maybe a little sooner, uh, like some other some other teams who, who only have one or two squads and, and some of them train in Canada, actually. I think it was in the S- Pyeongchang, actually, Olympics, where two or three of the other national teams were actually training in Canada because we had more ice. We had more facilities available than their home country did at the time. And they wound up training here. So maybe we need to start focusing on that a little bit more to actually, uh, not so much improve the game, but perhaps rediscover our competitive edge.
0: Well said. And, you know, the professionalism in in Jennifer Jones, just being so close uh, to qualifying for the semifinals, uh, one story that I love and just it was captured it wasn't meant for the cameras or whatnot and just the professionalism and understanding how big it is you know Japan qualified to the playoffs and Jennifer Jones they're they're the Japanese players are giving an interview just comes up and starts to hug them congratulate them telling them you know how proud she is and what a feat it is and they're just kind of like They're trying to hold back like their emotion because they're like, like, they're not you know used to it or anything. And just her professionalism, her her manual, like just she's been there. She's she's won gold. She she knows like the importance and the high stakes. And even though she knows, hey, you know we didn't make it to the semifinals, like that might be a lifetime like she is showing. You know, the Japanese, who I don't think have ever qualified for the playoffs, at least in the women's side, Not like, congratulations, Olympics. like, you're mm. playing for a medal, like, like they got bronze
4: in 2018, though.
0: Oh, the women did?
4: Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, well. Okay. But, like, still like that, it's a huge and like, they were just kind of oh like and thanking her for saying, just that shows the kind of maturity that I'm sure a lot of the team, whoever would have gone to represent Canada has uh, knowing that they're kind of the curate. They, they've been the curators of the sport, like you were all were saying. And now the rest of the world is catching up and that's okay. It might not be okay to, you know, some fans in Canada, you know, we want to be the best, but that's not healthy for the sport. And just cause it's, you know, popular here doesn't mean it's popular everywhere. And that's how you get a sport out of the Olympics. (laughs) So uh, just knowing that the, and especially like someone like Jennifer Jones, uh, Brad Gushu, like they've been around, they've been around the block for, you know, the past 22 years, and they know what it takes to, to get to that point. And they know the responsibility they have, not just to the sport in Canada, but around the world. And that's, you know, it has, to, it has to be that way for curling to evolve and continue. And were, were people hard on Rachel uh, for, for not winning the game by centimeters? Literal centimeters in an accuracy sport. You lost out by centimeters. Sure, if you wanted to criticize them losing to... Uh, you know, Australia two games before, where they probably, you know, should have won, and that maybe not would have put them in the situation. But to go against the team that was in first place, uh, and that be your last game and lose by centimeters, no one should have to go through that. And, you know, Rachel said it out on social media, like just sh- she knew she knew she, she felt like she let everyone down and because of social media, a lot of people let the world know how they felt. And, you know, athletes go into a dark, dark hole when there's that pressure, the pressure cooker of the Olympics and, in in a sport like curling in Canada, it's just like hockey. If you, if you don't win first, then, you know, take the bus home and, That's exactly how Rachel felt and she shouldn't have. And, you know, she's going to pick herself up and, uh, you know, does what she, she's going to do what she does and she's going to, you know, win again. And she's going to be like, I can do it. And hopefully those people realize their mistake and she uh, can not have to go through that ever again. And hopefully no one else has to go through that again.
3: Well said. Very well said.
0: And let's get to the giant panda in the room, if you will. The men's (laughs) and women's hockey event. Uh, For the second time in a row, NHLers were not allowed uh, because of... They say because of COVID. Um, But I don't think that's going to be the case in 2026. I don't think the players will allow it and also... You know, barring another pandemic. But just because Canada did not get a medal does not mean we have nothing to celebrate for the sport. Uh, because we have a new Olympic champion and we have a brand new medalist. Both got a hero's welcome when they returned back to their home countries. Giant Olympic stadiums, giant parades happened uh, for Team Finland and Team Slovakia just everyone i i know everyone watched the bronze medal game i think probably numbers were a lot higher than what uh normally they are uh because they had a feeling i had a feeling i uh, did put money on it and uh did come out victorious that uh slovakia had something special going um what did uh, what did you all think of the overall the men's tournament and kind of the outcome
4: I, without NHLers, honestly, like, I find the women's a lot more interesting. I feel like the teams are more cohesive. Um, Like, watching, I I still watch the Canadian games, but, like, I don't expect us to necessarily medal. Like, I don't feel without NHLers, we're a favourite to get gold or to medal. Um, I feel like a lot of countries are, again, pretty even in it. So it does lose a lot of its excitement, like I was more disappointed in the curling than with the hockey, the men's hockey at least, and I was just like, "Oh, we lost." I guess that happens. Like it's disappointing, but like, eh. So it wasn't the big draw for me this year, same as four years ago.
3: I mean, I definitely had high hopes for Canada men, even though they didn't uh, send any tellers. Just like last year or the last Winter Olympics. But at the same time, once they kind of started getting to play, especially the men's, uh, the team just wasn't really playing well. It was, it kind of slowly started to go downhill, and your expectations were slowly losing hopes. Like, obviously, I would love to see them win. I watched all their games. Uh, but unfortunately, that last game, especially. Uh, against Sweden it just got really tough uh the women's were just so energetic and so much fun to watch I absolutely love the women's game uh, it has grown immensely in this in the world and included in Canada and especially you got to see with this year's women's team it was a mix of younger uh, and the veterans put together so you know that like the women's sport is in such good hands going forward for the world
1: events. Uh, I was you know, obviously I'm ecstatic for the women's team. Uh, I, I got to see more of their games than I have in previous Olympic years. Uh, they were just an absolute juggernaut. I don't think there's a better word to describe that. Sure, yes, the stats say they played one more game than they usually do with the way the tournament was formatted this time, but they just they were almost scoring at will. And and uh, I said before we came on air, I said that these guys were going globetrotters on a lot of teams, including the Americans in the round robin and the gold medal game. Now, the round robin game, the goal, our goaltender stood on her freaking head too. We were badly outshot, so big ups to her. Uh, and anyone who's ever played goal in any kind of in any level of hockey knows that if, when you're being badly outplayed, it, the pressure's solely on your shoulders. Uh, you're no one's bailing you out, so. Super happy for them, and for anyone who's listening who happens to be an old WWE fan, we are the five-time, five-time. and I'll just stop right there. Everyone gets get to the reference. <laughs> uh, it, it is good to be back on top of the Olympic world, but the, the, the hockey world, for, as far as the women are concerned. Uh, for me and Adam being on this end of the country, uh, Sarah Fillier, God, so proud of her. She's a She was a rookie on the team this year, and she was a beast. Uh, God, I can't say enough. I, I could go on for an hour, an hour and a half, talk about the women's team and what they did and how proud we are. Um, when the NHL pulled out of the men's tournament, that sent alarm bells in my head saying, uh-oh. Now, I also had high hopes that Hockey Canada would twist some arms, beg and plead, and take most of the World Junior team who didn't get to go. To the Olympics because they had cohesiveness. They knew each other. Half like, of there were five Edmonton Oil Kings on the World Junior team. Send them to the Olympics. Yes, the Oil Kings probably didn't want to lose them again for two more weeks. Hmm. But that would have that I would have felt much stronger about our chances to medal had the had they gone one more one direction or the other. Either take a bunch of older guys who were NHL former NHL players or go completely young. Not a mix of both because it showed. It showed me me, like Eric Stahl playing up there and Josh Hosang, who was never a great hockey player in my mind, like some talented, but way too egotistical for his own good. Um, First watching them play and Eric Stahl, he still got it at 37 years, 38 years old. He still got it, but that's another story. But Owen Power on defense was pretty much the best Canadian player at all times on the ice. Um, and you, saw him, you saw him get a little physical too, which was good to see for a man of his size, using that size to his advantage. But at no point did they look crisp. At no point were they playing with any kind of cohesiveness. Um, I really would have liked to have seen them gone one way or the other. And obviously I'm very disappointed that they didn't even make the medal round, um, like the, the, the semifinals. Um, Justin, you've said it a couple of times. When it comes to a few of the major sports in this country in the wintertime, it's, you, we expect gold. Because we are that good. Uh, If NHLers go, we could send two teams full of NHLers and both would be gold medal favorites. Wouldn't be like just one's a gold medal. Both would be gold medal favorites. We're that deep in this country and we're that spoiled in this country. But still doesn't take the sting away of not even getting a medal, just like back in uh, 06 in in, uh, Italy, in Turin. Yeah, for me...
2: um... The women's team, unbelievable, really happy, just like the rest of you, Um, gold medal. Obviously, you can't ask for more. Um, The men's team, a little disappointed. And I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed when I looked at the roster. I didn't feel like they had taken the best available players. Um, And kind of seeing how the result ended up, I'm totally not surprised by that. It didn't look like a team that had cohesiveness, that was mentioned before. It didn't, it it looked like a team that was trying to just play physical and just try to bully everybody. And that's not gonna work in the Olympics. It's a best on best skill tournament. Um, Not sure where I heard this. It might've been from one of you guys. It might've been from another friend of mine who we talk sports all the time. But when you look at some of these countries, Finland, Sweden, even Germany, Russia, especially, they all have their own elite leagues. They're able to pull these elite hockey players to stay home. Kovalchuk from four years ago, for example, they had him in the KHL. He's an elite level player, even when he was older and he got to go to the Olympics. They may not be household names, but they're better than what we got overseas. And in free agent pools, they're way better. So to say that the men's team is disappointing, it was, and I'm not surprised by that.
1: But big big ups to the Finns. Uh, they, they they've become like your second favorite country to watch outside of our own. Really, when it comes to because you you, you want to see them do well because they were always that top tier of of the level two. They were always the top of, of the tier two for so many years, so many decades. You had Canada, Sweden, U.S. and Russia. Those four the four of us were always upper echelon. No one like you. You could ever debate our place there. But Finland was always like, do they belong there or do they belong in that next grouping with Slovakia, and the Czech Republic, you know, everybody else. Uh, It it has been a treat to watch them rise into a superpower the last 10, 15 years. They've really started to establish themselves. Uh, They, like Mackenzie said, they have their own elite hockey system, same as the Swedish Elite League, the German Elite League. Uh, And they've really poured government resources into making that program better and the results showed right here. The Finns are now producing top-tier NHL talent again and not just one or two players are drafted, just several players are coming out of that country every draft now, um, making a difference. And it's great to see. And I, I think I'm, I was actually happier than for Slovakia than I was for Finland. Um, I mean, all of our favorite teams have had a Slovak superstar. Anyone in Ottawa would remember Marian Hossa uh, and Zdeno Chera from, from the days. Um, I mean, Montreal, we had host his younger brother, Marcel for a while, so not quite a great, but, uh-huh. it, <laughs> uh, Brad, Braddock, thank you for that. Um, I thought he was Czech though. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, would have played no. for
2: Czechoslovakia back then. So, <laughs> um, <excuse
1: me>. um, <laughs> Combined- but no, it, it, it's it's absolutely a treat to sometimes see a small changing of the guard, even just temporarily, because you know it you know in 2026 if they send NHLers, uh, like I, I don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion, but it's almost expected that Canada will be in the gold medal game and probably against either Sweden or the United States. I mean, I I, I don't want to sound as if I'm just calling bank now, but you send NHLers. I don't think there's too many countries who can boast having uh, Nate McKinnon, Connor McDavid, and Cindy Crosby all on the same team. I don't think you can quite ma- there's anyone who could quite match that depth down the middle. But that that being said, Slovakia turned in one hell of a tournament. I, I was actually watching some of their games if Canada wasn't on. I was watching some of their hockey because they were just so much fun to watch.
0: And like every Olympics, uh, new names and old favorite names come to the forefront and uh, we either remember their greatness or, uh, you know, they become household names. I mean, Marie-Philippe Poulain, already a household name, but just kind of cementing, you know, in that Mount Rushmore of uh, women's hockey in Canada. You know, is she the greatest? She could be the greatest. She could be the GOAT Uh you know, there's that discussion. Um, and then, you know, you get into to new, so you get, um, uh, you know, Max Perot, uh, from the 2018 was a medalist now a two-time medalist at this Olympics. Uh, you've got Charles Amne, like you guys said, uh, he's now tied for the most, uh, decorated, uh, winter Olympian and he's tied for the most decorated male Olympian, uh, for Canada. Uh, you get uh, the incredible Sean White, his last Olympics feels like we've known Sean White forever. Um, and uh, this was his last Olympics, couldn't go out on top, but just kind of that and get that storybook ending. But nevertheless, he was happy. Uh, you have the incredible Irene Wurst from the Netherlands, a speed skater who has 13 medals, Oof. yeah, total. Over her long career, these are her last Olympics and in any event that she is in, no matter her age, she has been uh, a metal threat. And you hear that name. I know I was watching a few late night speed skating and, you know, Canada was like, oh, like Canada's in second. Here's the last pairing. Oh, this person, Irene, where is is like, oh, well, I don't think we're (laughs) going to get a medal because Irene's going to be up (laughs) there and she that's going to push the person she's racing. Uh, to try and you know match her speed and so just an incredible career just and from all the reports I've heard just an incredible person for the Netherlands for the sport as she's gotten older she's been a mentor for multiple athletes doesn't matter what country uh, a dream guest anyone knows to contact her I would love to get her on just talk about the remarkableness that she's done for, for sports. Um, And then you get uh, kind of into the new you have for Canada, Isabel Weidman uh, who, you know, got a a medal of every color because what a complete set, why not? And is a a new force in speed skating. Uh, And you have Ellie Gu who kind of created a little bit of stir before uh, choosing to represent China instead of the U S which got a lot of Americans upset because she was a medal favorite in all of her events. Uh, And uh, you know, that meant the Americans went uh, get those medals Uh, and she's also 19 and uh, you know, in an Ivy league school and, you know, does modeling on the side. So kind of the, the, you know, the new form of athlete, if you will. Uh, And a lot of athletes chose to represent China uh, instead of the country that they live in because they have relatives and maybe they're going to get funding. Who knows? And we also had new events. We had seven new events take place. Canada got four medals in, out of the seven Uh, you know, women's monobob, which is just fun to say monobob. Uh, You had the mixed aerials, which was pretty cool. You had men's and women's skiing, big air. You had the mixed team relay. You had the uh, mixed team ski jumping, which was riddled in a little bit of controversy, uh, but Canada got a medal. You had the mixed team snowboard cross, which was pretty cool. Um, And yeah, just something to excite and get looking forward to. Uh, I think, The most famous mascot for an Olympics in a long, long time. I don't know if any of you remember the mascots for the Vancouver 2010 Olympics. No, I remember them, but that's because I'm just a nerd like that. Uh, We actually had five. There was a a Sasquatch. uh, There was a Puffin. Um, Everyone remembers the Inukshuk. Inukshuk, that was the logo, but no one remembers the 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 mascots. So the mascot was a panda. And what I thought, uh, I, I thought it just had some plastic covering. No, no, this was a panda in a space suit. The, the plastic, it was supposed to be a see-through space suit was the, how it was described. Um, it sold out every single day that places got new shipment. People waited 13 hours because there was a few days where they didn't have any people waited 13 hours in line. Like it was black Friday or boxing day to buy this, this stuffy of the Panda. Uh, And, and this was the public, not the athletes, the athletes had different choices. And then if you meddled, you got your own, but this was the general public in China who were just falling head over heels for this panda in a spacesuit. Uh, so Paris 2024, uh, Milan Cortana 2026, LA 2028, you want to make a bunch of money, make a memorable, cute looking mascot and you will have people fighting each other just to buy it.
3: Funny enough on that mascot, I was listening to an interview with Jennifer Jones and she said she had gone two separate days to get both her kids one to line up and they got home and her husband said they were selling for about $500 each on eBay.
0: And a record I didn't think I would see broken, but Norway has broken a record that Canada held since 2010. Most gold medals. It was actually pretty funny early. It was like a weekend and they were pretty high already the number they finished with was 16, which was two more than the record Canada set in 2010. I thought they were going to get to 20 something the way the rate they were going with all their, they were a, a phenom to defeat in uh, cross-country skiing, the biathlon, uh, Alpine skiing. They were just crushing it and all uh, many of those events. Um, now looking back, Maybe in four years' time when we're talking about Italy, 2026, uh, what are your memories going to be of Beijing 2022?
1: Uh, I think it's actually to a couple of things we mentioned off the top that I mentioned and uh, Adam and Kenzie were talking about. Uh, the lack of a crowd and the weird-ass sky, uh, skyline in behind the Olympics during some of those outdoor events. Uh, it just, it always left me feeling a little like it was. I wasn't watching the Olympics, kind of thing.
3: It gave me kind of the feels of watching like a movie about the Olympics. Um, but definitely, what everybody else was starting to say. Um, for me, I'd say just a diversity of uh, kind of sports that Canada did medal in that we don't normally like. Ski jumping. I think that's the, one of the coolest things I'll look back on for this Olympics.
4: For me, I don't wanna say, but I feel like I'm more likely to remember the negatives about it just because they were so big, like the, the figure skating controversy or, or scandal there um, and kind of the weird skyline. Um, and then kind of the funny moments as well, like the one snowboarder or was it a skier who went down in a tiger costume for her final run because she injured herself the run before so she couldn't compete it and someone else just had a random tiger costume like with tail and everything and so she just went down and for that in her final one because she was retiring um and and the weirdness of it being in covid and just seeing like the news that was coming out like the room situation that was going on there was some things about food being odd and things leaking and just like that happens every year i remember the one in russia with the strange accommodations and small beds for the summer olympics all these things happen but um yeah i don't know it was fun to watch and follow as always so yeah
2: for me i It's hard to say. It was, it was an interesting Olympics for sure. Um, Between the positives and the negatives and everything like that. It's, it left me feeling like the summer Olympics last year without the fans. It was kind of, kind of empty. Yes. The games were good. Yes. The sports were fun to watch. Yes. There was great sportsmanship and you know, all that, but it just, it didn't feel the same.
0: I think it was, that's a, that's a good point. It was, um, it was essentially, you know, Tokyo being delayed a year, no fans at all. The quietness of some of the events that you're, you know, normally you hear 60,000 people roaring. And I think it kind of emulated where we are in, in the world coming, you know, hopefully looking like it's towards the end or, or, rewriting what it's going to be like living in a pandemic or with a illness. Uh, You know, there were some fans, so it wasn't as quiet. So it kind of emulated where the world was heading. You know, we're coming out of, so certain places are, have people and as we kind of navigate what to do next or how to best move forward, they, you know, did the best, like you said, athletes or sportsmanship. It's always fun to watch the sports but it's that other stuff that kind of makes it more memorable or you get those goosebumps uh, those little bits that were, that were kind of missing that hopefully next winter Olympics will, you we'll know, feel again. Um, any last words? Uh, what, what are we looking, are we looking forward to Italy? 2026? Uh, you know, we're back on our, our normal, two-year rotation, which uh, in, in the grand scheme of things is good. That means the world is uh, getting back to normal besides other world events. Um, uh, are we, what are we looking forward to?
1: Oh, hopefully seeing NHL players at the Olympics for the first time since Sochi uh, making a true best of best competition and, uh, you know, all of us here in this country get spoiled. We get to debate rosters and, uh, you know, it, it play arms your GM for a little bit. It's always a fun exercise in this country and it makes for hundreds of hours of conversation on TV and in social groups. I'm that, That's really for me. And uh, just looking forward to seeing the, the, the best in the world be back on the biggest stage in the world.
3: For me, I'd say just having the Olympics feel like the Olympics again, all Mm -hmm. the fans and top athletes competing against each other to see who's the best. That's all. It's really all about the sportsmanship, the fun, the record breakings, all that fun stuff.
4: Like a better time zone and (laughs) and I guess also looking forward to just whatever will surprise like this year I was kind of caught off guard by how much I enjoyed figure skating. Who knows? Maybe next year I'll be like, Hey, look at this like aerials that I never really got into. I I enjoy trying to find a new sport that just happens to coincide with what I'm watching or a cool
2: storyline. So, Um, For me, I did look ahead to if they were adding any new sports to 2026, they're adding ski mountaineering. Um, I'll take two seconds and explain it. It's basically you uh, run up a mountain with skis and then you ski down
0: as fast as you can. So
2: <laughs>
0: that could be interesting. Can't be any worse than ski ballet. So, you know, that looked amazing when I saw a clip of it. But I'm like, I probably only saw the like, good clips. there's a reason why it was only a demonstration sport so as we close this chapter on beijing 2022 we cannot forget uh the the other uh world event that happens the paralympics um you know unfortunately they don't get as much coverage both the summer and winter iterations uh, but they are starting On March the 4th, in just a few days, uh, there are five main sports that take place. Alpine skiing, uh, biathlon, cross-country skiing, para-ice hockey, uh, snowboarding, wheelchair curling. And within that, uh, there are a total of uh, 78 different events within those sports. Uh, So Go, uh, they've released the uh, broadcasting schedule, at least here in Canada. I'm not sure around the world how much coverage Paralympics get Uh, but cheer on your favorite athletes your favorite sports learn about Paralympics and the sports and how those sports work to make it accessible uh, to these athletes Uh, I know a lot of coverage on the summer Paralympics get uh, uh, get some coverage uh, but I know winter gets the least amount uh, so give them some love learn a new sport learn how it works uh, how they do it uh, how they reconfigure it and uh, the different disciplines because people have different uh, different ways they uh, they qualify. And that means they have to tweak the events uh, for certain ways. So it's pretty cool. Um, if you're up late at night and can't sleep, you have something to, to watch and learn. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for uh Joining us, I guess, part two of season three. I don't even know why we have seasons and podcasts, you can do it whenever you want. <laughs> uh, but uh, as always, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on, everyone. For those listening, thank you so much. Uh, stay tuned, we have some big episodes coming up, uh, going into springtime here in North America, so that means the snow is going to melt, it's going to be nice outside means we're heading towards playoffs in hockey and basketball uh, who knows about the summertime sport a sport that shall not be named uh and uh just general uh good vibes as we head into the spring of 2022 thank you so much for joining us and uh stay safe and as always sport on